And we are talking today with AK Dozanti, and she is going to be talking to us all about her Lifesavers Wellness program that she has going on. She is a former deputy sheriff, and she has got some really, really amazing stuff to share with us today. It is so paramount of importance to to me as, as I do this show, as I do this program. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was bring things like you and your program and what you do uh, to the forefront to help our first responders because, you know, they face challenges that are uncommon. I actually started my law enforcement career at 19 years old. Um, I did some undercover stuff as an auxiliary. um, And then I went to the academy when I was 20. Um, I got hired on with the sheriff's office as a special deputy with the contingency that I would be hired on, um, but they wanted me to finish my degree. So I did that. I graduated with my degree on Saturday, started on Monday morning um, with the sheriff's office. And um, I did that for several years and I really dove in. I, you know, I, I was a couple hours away from my family. And so it was like, it was kind of all I had. And so I just really dove right in. Um, I didn't know it, but I had come into the job with some unresolved traumas. And when I was about seven years in, I believe, seven or eight years, um, I went from being officer of the year in February of 2015. And by September, I was completely burned out. I mean, I was just, I was done. I was hypervigilant. I was paranoid. There were things going on in our society that um, really were uh, heavy on my heart. And I lived alone at the time. And it was just, it was very um, overwhelming. So I pivoted. I um, became a criminal court victim advocate for about five years. And during that time, I went back and got my master's in criminology and victimology, which is essentially trauma. And um, I also took a 10-month yoga teacher training and became a yoga instructor. And a lot of that was just for my own healing. And um, I never dreamed that when I left that position, Um, because I tried to stay on in law enforcement as a special deputy a little bit here and there and um, pick up some auxiliary positions. But I never dreamed that when I left that position and I just took time off that all of this would come to me. Um, It was almost like a, a strike of lightning. It was like, oh my gosh, I have to take all of this because I, I had felt like I had no direction. And then all of a sudden I went, duh take all of it and funnel it back to the people that you care most about, your first responders, your brothers and sisters, and serve in a different way. And so that's what I did. You know, incredible journey to start so young, 19. I mean, you know, I think of myself at 19. I mean, you know, I was a dipshit. I really was. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It It was just a doofy kid. And, you know, I can't imagine going into a career that is so jam-packed with so much. I mean, so much stimuli and activity and high levels of adrenaline and all of the things. And being a female in a technically male-driven field, you know, did that make you feel even more driven to be a super achiever. It's kind of interesting because when I came on at 19, I was doing undercover online investigations. And so I was very valued 
as a young female because I could be a decoy. I could get on the phone with these guys. Um, so I don't know that I really felt the need to work harder to prove myself um, because I came in feeling like, okay, I have something to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I was super young. And some of the things that we were doing and seeing, some of these victims were just a couple of years younger than me. I mean, we were looking into human trafficking type stuff and 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 it just, um, I don't think I, I fully grasped it at the time because how can a 19 year old fully understand all that stuff? Um, but I think that the trauma of it, like as a byproduct, um, kind of led me to try to dissociate and bury and keep moving forward in a fast paced way to avoid dealing with those things. So not necessarily um, being a female in in the field, but rather as a byproduct of the things that I was um, experiencing. How were they addressing those stressors, those issues, um, or were they addressing them at all? Was everybody expected to just fend for themselves? Um, you know, I at the time, so I left full-time in 2015, and it really was not talked about. We had a job to do. And when you were at work, you were at work. And if you couldn't hack it, you needed to leave. And um, I, I think that we have come a long way since then. Um, but, you know, when I went through the academy, it was 08. And I think the only thing that they told us was, hey, you're going to see some stuff. So you're going to have to compartmentalize. And I've really examined that. I've, I've, I've looked very closely at that in the last couple of years. And what I've come to realize is compartmentalizing will save your life on a shift. Being able to put certain things in a box on shift will get you through that shift but it is not a lifestyle. You cannot just say, okay, I'm just going to shove all of my chronic stress and trauma into my left arm and it can stay there, right? We're one human. We have one human experience. It's a whole experience. And so we can't just shut it down. Um, We think we can and we try to, but it creeps up and leaks out in other areas of our life expectation from law enforcement, first responders, is so unnaturally, unrealistically high. You are not allowed mm-hmm. to make a mistake. You can't be human. You're not allowed. It's it's not, you know, in, in the eyes of the public. And, you know, so that's an added, pr- I mean, the level of pressure and stress is beyond imagination for most people who are willing to take the time to imagine it or try. Um, tell me a little bit about you know, you talk about the burnout that you were feeling. Did you recognize it as that early on, or was it just this big moment where you were just done? The ultimate moment for me, and I I can laugh about it now, um, but the ultimate moment for me was in my living room at 3 a.m. I didn't even have the energy to turn the TV on, and I had completely let my um, chores in my house go. And I was eating cereal out of a gravy boat. And I went, this is not me. Something's got to give. What am I doing with my life? I am most of the time pretty squared away at work. And then I come home and I'm 
falling apart. And um, at that point, I realized uh, something needed to shift. Um, And when I left, I actually took about a month off. And I realized at that point that I also had adrenal fatigue um, and depression and PTS and all the things. But I slept for about 18 hours a day for a month straight because my my body was... um, Shut down. My my nervous system was wrecked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, that solidified for me that I had made the right decision. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it it saddens me and it angers me that you and any first responder is even allowed to get to that point. And and I think that is the thing that needs to change. You know, and of course, I'm stating the obvious when I say that, you know, we all know that that is what needs to happen. You guys need real time, real time help. That's kind of what you do. You Do you actually go into um, academies and, and police departments and help train them for that? Yeah, I go into um, different police departments, uh, fire departments. Um, I haven't hit up any academies yet. And I'll be honest, it's really hard for me to find the curriculum to prepare them for something they haven't experienced yet. Yeah. Um, but I, I do. I do agency trainings and Um, it's interesting because there's always different levels of, um, burnout. There's different levels of, uh, being able to pay attention or see the value in what I'm even talking about. People that have been on for five years are like, why am I sitting here? I want to go. I want to be go chasing bad guys. I'm like, yeah, I get it. People that have been on for 30 years. And the people that you would expect to uh, slough it off and say, it's not the way we do things. Those are the people that call me up afterwards Mm -hmm. or stop me on the way out and say, thank you. So, so tell me a little bit about, or tell the audience really a little about exactly what you do. So I do my agency trainings, um, and then I also do one-on-one coaching, and I'm developing another program that I can talk about in a few minutes. But um, what I really am doing is teaching first responders how to have self-awareness and then what to do with it when you get there. Um, We spend a lot of time avoiding and powering through and so what I'm doing, and, and this is might might be a little bit too uh, clinical, but it's it's a bottom up approach. So we have our our um, survival brain at our brainstem, and then we go into our emotional brain, and then we go into our um, critical thinking brain. And trauma and chronic stress lives in our body. So I've been able to take um, my yoga practices, breath work, meditations. Um, physiology, neurobiology, and everything I know about all of that and create this approach to where we can start to connect to our body. Cause I think so many first responders are like, I don't even want to know if I even, if I even plug into what my body's feeling, I'm, I'm going to be scared of what I, what I find out. Um, so really connecting and then being able to offload some of that trauma and stress without necessarily even having to talk out every single detail. And I think that is huge because being able to talk it out is very effective, but when you're working with trauma 
and we'll just call it what it is, even though first responders are like, no, trauma's for victims. Well, not necessarily. So, um, but when you're working with trauma, it's hard to find the words. It's hard to come up with um, a sentence to explain what you were feeling or, or whatever the case is. And so being able to work that through and out of your body is very important. And then we kind of continue to move up and part of um, the program is being able to decide who you are outside of that uniform. That's so, so, so huge because so many people are like, I am the thin blue line. And I'm like, yes, you are, but you're a human first. Are you a one woman show? Are you, do you have like a a, a team that works with you for you or you're what you're a one woman show? (laughs) Yep. I mean, my dogs could be my assistants, but that's about it. I mean, I have a, I have a great support system, mm-hmm. but it is, it is just me. Um, I'm probably going to be hiring assist, an assistant very soon. Cause this kept, this thing kind of blew up overnight, but um, yeah, I'm it's just me right now. That's incredible. And, and this is a program. This is a system that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, that you created from the ground up essentially, or is this something that already, you, this is you from the ground up. That's pretty amazing. I've been able to really weave together a lot of different disciplines and um, techniques and things. Um, and then throughout that, I've done some like or really organic one-on-one coaching where we, I just kind of see where it takes me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I did enough of that where I was able to come up with a framework because I was able to see what the needs were and then prioritize them. And that's how I came up with my um, combat method, which is to connect, offload, motivate, build a line, and then transition into self-coaching, which I think is incredible because I, um, if I do say so myself, (laughs) but I, I really think that's such an important component because as first responders, we don't want to feel like we're reliant on somebody else. So I'm handing over everything I've got for them to be able to then take the reins. I can see that your love for the work shines right through, like your passion for it. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I think people feel that and see that, you know, when, when they work with you, I would imagine uh, there's just all heart there. And I think that's so, so cool and so needed in this, in this field, um, you know, people with heart and understanding and all of those things. So I think it's incredible what you're doing. How can people, so, how can they work with you? <laughs> Yeah. So the one-on-one coaching, I have clients all over the U S. Um, and I, right now I've trained, um, I've done some like webinars and stuff out of like Florida and other States, but, um, my curriculum has actually been approved by the Ohio peace officer training commission, um, which is our regulating authority for all the academies and, um, continuing at hours and all of that stuff. So um, that has kind of kept me pretty busy. And, um, but I'm actually going this month uh, down to Baton Rouge to teach at their, um, or to give a a speech at their state police conference. Um, I've got some things coming up in Illinois. Um, So I'm, I'm starting to branch out. Um, But, you know, I'm, I'm open to you know, wherever this thing takes me. Um, so yeah, but if, if somebody wanted to work with me, all they would have to do is hop on my website and, um, submit just a little something and I can, you know, 
then go from there. Lifesaverwellness.com. Get over to that website. There, It, it is packed full of really great, useful information, um, how you can get a hold of AK, and it is a great, great program. So get involved, get interested, and check it out. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. So Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much, Elsa. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure, and I appreciate you inviting me. So let, let's go right into it. So so tell me about, let's start with your policing career, um, how you got on the job, and that experience. Um, I kind of started even like childhood, great childhood. Both uh, parents involved in my life. They're still married after 50, almost 54 years. Um, speak to them every day. Um you know, went to a Catholic private school, athletic, off to college for two years, uh, didn't know what I want to do after two years. My dad was um, a retired captain at the Sandusky County Sheriff's Office in Fremont, Ohio, kind of said, hey, don't don't get into that. You know, don't get in that line of work. Um, but I didn't listen to him. After two years of college, I dropped out and I came back and I, and I then went through the police academy. Um, from that point, uh, I worked during that time a couple odd jobs and then finally got um, a job with the Sandusky County Sheriff's Office, actually in the corrections division. And from that point, um, I was promoted to road patrol. I ended up going back to college, obtained an associate's degree in criminal justice. And then I wanted I had other aspirations to leave. And I went and got a bachelor's degree in business administration. I'd had um, some federal agents talk to me and they were interested. They said, hey, do this. And this is how you get your foot in the door. Long story short, got heavily into drug interdiction, which is ironic. And um, that led me then to uh, the detective bureau. The sheriff prior to me got wind I was leaving. I did a couple of rounds uh, with the Secret Service. I was doing some interviewing. And he came to me and he said, hey, I don't want to lose you. Um, what if I make you detective? And I said, well, maybe. He goes, I'm going to promote you to sergeant just to keep you. So I went from there, moved up the ranks to captain in the detective bureau, handled everything from homicides, armed robberies. But I was still had that love for um, uh, drug investigations. Assigned, started working undercover with DEA for about three years. Um, I mean, Bought up to 20, 20 kilos of cocaine, did some crazy stuff. And um, the sheriff, he always said, you know, someday you keep doing what you're doing. You'd be a, you would be a good leader for this uh, sheriff's office. And all of a sudden he passed away and I was only 34 years old. And uh, ultimately at 34, uh, myself and I went up against my chief deputy of the time and they appointed me as the sheriff of Sandusky County. Mm. And you were the the youngest in the state, correct? Youngest elected sheriff in the state. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yes. That's yes. pretty. That's that, uh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty exceptional. I mean, the the career path that that now the course of that from the time that you joined to the time you were elected sheriff. How many years was that? That I started full time in 1996. So okay. it, it was. It was pretty, it was pretty quick. Yeah, that's fast. Yeah. So uh, it did happen fast and it was kind of shocking, but I, I embraced it and I ran with it. So amazing to have that kind of career in that short period of time. And it's a great testament to your love of the job, obviously, and your commitment to it. Uh, Then 
something happened. You were diagnosed with arthritis, correct? Correct. Correct. I had broken both my ankles um, in my youth playing sports. So lo and behold, I went to a specialist and ended up getting prescribed 105 Vicodin a month. And uh, those 105 Vicodin not only took care of the physical pain, but started to numb the, the mental pain. I had been involved with fatal shooting, you know, saw three children drowned, a multitude of so many things. And there were some struggles between my, my ex-wife and I at home. And it was the easy way out. And that's what numbed the pain rather than the physical pain. And it outweighed the, the physical pain. So things got out of control. Yeah. How, how quickly did that happen or slowly did that happen? I would say after about, you know, they say you can be addicted within about three days to opiates. Wow. And uh, yeah. So I saw myself within probably a year, you know, really, really, you know, gravitating towards needing them. I mean, and then I went to the full extent of multiple doctors, the doctor shopping, you know, making up lies and manipulating to get the prescriptions. And then we would have the take back boxes where they would throw away the old prescriptions. So I got crafty and they were being thrown away. So I, nobody would ever miss them. So I took those to, you know, feed my addiction as well. And, you know, Elsa, you know, thinking back and I mean, it was nothing for me to take 20, 20 pills a day, you know, it was, it was, I'm so naive, Kyle. What is like the typical dosage in a day that you would take for something like that? Well, you know, like, you know, Vicodins, you know, they were, you know, say 7.5 milligrams, but, mm. you know, I was also getting Percocets too. Mm. And, you know, and so those, those are lower doses, but you're taking, you know, 30 to 40 milligrams a day. That's a lot. I mean, you know, you're really numb then. You know, yeah. That, that was, that was my morning routine. I would always you know, wake up and the first thing I had my cabinet and right by my duty weapon, I had my stash of pills in because I knew, you know, my wife then or my children wouldn't find them because they wouldn't get around my gun. And that would be my first thing that I would pick up every morning to start my day. It was the only way I could get through and it would continue throughout the day. Did anyone close to you, your, your wife, your coworkers at the, did they see, was there like a drastic change in your personality or anything like that? Or were you just maintaining, like, did you have the mask on? I did. I, I wore, you know, and I talk about it sometimes, you know, inside I'm dying inside, but I'm smiling on the outside. Everybody thought I was one of the happiest guys he had, you know, you know, I had everything under control, the, the all American life. And it was a facade. It was, it was phony. And so I was good at what I did. And uh, yeah, I think I fooled everybody. At what point did that facade start to drop? Well, February 3rd, 2015 is when was a real turning point. Um, I went to go fill a prescription. I knew it was like on clockwork on the third of every month. And I went and uh, the pharmacist, she said, hey, Kyle, I want to talk to you aside. Here, I'm thinking something criminal activity, illegal activities going on. And she wants to speak with me. She says, look, you're getting opiates from multiple doctors and we can't give them to you. We're going to stop you. And I thought, oh, my God. 
That is the turning point where I was embarrassed, I was scared, I was sick, and I knew I had to do something. And that was the day I went and flushed my last Vicodin down the toilet. Wow. And I went to go cold turkey, and I got sick, and mm-hmm. I got sick, and I got real sick because I detoxed myself. And, and still, so now, so keep walking me through. So you, you detox yourself. Correct. How long did that last? Was that a permanent detox for you or yes. did you? Yes. Lapse? No, I've never, oh. I've never, I've never relapsed. That's incredible. That now that truly is incredible because that's one of the hardest things to, you know, to stay off of that, to stay clean because it is so incredibly highly addictive yeah, so I was getting ready for, to run for my third term as sheriff, and I had an opponent. And then things started to get dug up on me. Mm. They eventually, I, I won the primary, and the rumblings were out there. There was rumors that, you know, there was a problem I had to address that with the media. And, of course, I was in denial. I lied and said, nope, they're, they're crazy. They're just trying to headhunt me. And, yeah, I, went, I won the primary, and then the general was coming. And they opened a full-blown investigation on it. They brought the attorney general's office in. And um, uh, I'm, I was running for general election. And August 23rd, 2016, I'm at the ribbon cutting of the Sandusky County Fair in uniform. And by that evening at 6, 37 o'clock, I'm in an orange jumpsuit with a 42 count indictment. And it's also on top of that, it's being played out in public. So your private life, your personal life is fodder for, uh, you know, almost tabloid like for, you know, your community and your in your town and state uh, that had to make things a, a thousand times worse, I would imagine. And it never stopped. I mean, while I served my prison time, um, you can't have um like two different vitamins in one bottle and I consolidate them. I ended up getting a ticket and guess what? It ended up in the newspaper to make it look like I was smuggling pills in and they were vitamins that I bought off the commissary. Mm-hmm. They continued on articles after articles throughout my four years, even up until I went and get, went to the halfway house as I was exiting pr- prison. Mm-hmm. I mean, it never went away. I love uh, redemption stories. I love success stories. I love people changing their stories and, and, you know, doing what you're doing, which is helping other people now. So let's, if, if you don't mind, let's kind of skip forward to right now, because you, you took something, um, you know, truly devastating in so many ways, and you made a conscious choice to find good and create good from this. So, so tell everyone what you are doing now. Well, a little bit, little bit backwards. When I did get released, I got released April 6, 2020. Um, I got out. Um, I was homeless for a little bit. Found myself uh, in a spare bedroom on an air mattress from an old friend. Um, and I was frying chicken back in my hometown. Believe it or not. A lot of people made memes over me on Facebook, made fun of me. Mm. I held in strong and from that point, um, ended up working at a treatment center on midnights, the behavioral tech, worked my way up. Um, then at that point, November 22nd of 2020, met my wife now, 
six weeks later, we got married and she was living in the Columbus area and I was living up north. So I was going to commute for a while. Seven days later, um, a treatment facility has seen my story and uh, offered me a um, position down at a treatment center down in Columbus, which worked out perfectly. And um, today, um, from that point, I work now for Dream Life Recovery and outreach and business development to help others that are suffering as well to get into treatment. And uh, I love my job. I love it more than being the sheriff, I have to say, mm. because you can actually see physically the beginning of someone's treatment to the end now, you know, and I'll help people get into treatment. And I still try to keep in touch with them and the family as well to know that they're doing well. So, and that's what I do now on top of, I travel, I tell my story as a motivational speaker with my, uh, the business that my wife helped me start is KO Addiction. Um, do you have events coming up um, that, that people can attend or maybe watch online? Where, where can people find you? Well, they, they can find me, of course, on Facebook, on Kyle Overmeyer. You can always message me, um, reach out to me. I give my personal cell phone out all the time, 419-455-0793. Anybody struggling or a family member, I return every phone call and every message. I think is very important. And I think in this uh, day and age, especially with a struggle of addiction, communication is the key to success.